Hey everyone, this is Joel, and welcome back to the Enneagram Journey Podcast. Today's episode is with Enneagram Ones, Christopher and Amanda Phillips. Yes, they're ones and they're married together. They have two children, Jack and Francine, and they live in Nashville, Tennessee. If you ever have a day that you're kind of feeling down about life or things, hop onto Instagram and search for the hashtag Francine Reads. And that will completely turn everything around for you. It is freaking adorable. Uh, Also, if you are going to be in the Dallas area on Thursday, October 18th, we're going to have a live podcast recording of the Enneagram Journey and Q&A session and evening with Suzanne. And her guest will be Luke Norsworthy. We'll also have a book signing and a book release for him and his new book, God Over Good. So check that out on Amazon and join us if you can. Registration for that is on the LTM website, lifeandthetrinityministry.com. We hope you enjoy today's show. Um, Jack started school, and Francine started Mother's Day out, and you two are both ones. How'd that go? Oh, goodness. Um, I would say leading up to going to Jack's kindergarten, was the worst eight days probably of <laughs> my life, but not really. I mean, it was, it was very emotional. Like anytime somebody would bring it up to me, they would say, are you excited about Jack going to kindergarten? And I would just like cry, like on the spot. Like I'm very excited and I'm so sad at the same time for him. He was so ready. Um, and he didn't have a tear. He didn't, he did so, so good. I mean, it's so fresh. It's only been, I guess, a week today. So yeah. he he's doing so good. And, like, each day, like, you can just see how much he's grown. And having a really good teacher has been awesome for us. Um, people explained her to us that she was, like, a Disney princess. And so we were like, oh, wow, that's interesting. That's interesting <laughs> and we can't wait to meet this. And so... Coming from a home where he's been raised with two ones, which has a lot of boundaries and rules and rigidity, um, when we walked in the first day of school, she said, she got down on his level and she said, Jack, you can sit wherever you want to in this classroom. And Jack, you can put your backpack in any cubby you want to. And I think he was maybe the second or third kid. Obviously, we were early. Um, (laughs) He was the second or third kid there, so it was a nice, clean, like, empty classroom, and he just, he walked right in, sat down, and it just made me feel so good, because from what I've heard, other kindergarten teachers, like, there's an assigned seat with an assigned role where he puts his backpack, and there's everything, like, and it just seems like she's just more fun, and she's more laid back about things, but also, like, from what we see, he's going to learn a lot, of course, you know, and so it kind of just was a good balance for us to see that he's going to be in great hands and she's awesome. And same with Francine. She started today. And I mean, I told somebody she was like Tigger, like hopping into the class, like so excited. And so, I mean, what a blessing that we, you know, have raised them, I guess, to this point and they're independent and they're happy and it's all going to be okay. (laughs) Like all the nervousness and all the like worry leading up to it, it, once it's actually here, it's really fine. It's awesome. And I'm super happy for both of them. So Christopher, before you chime in on that, I want to respond to a couple of things. And one thing I want to say is that I, I think we need to all be mindful in Enneagram wisdom that it's so great and so helpful that our children have teachers who are different from us, Mm. but it's also so great that each of the nine numbers, I think, has a different gift in preparing our children to be ready to encounter somebody who's different than we are as parents mm-hmm. and to find uh, themselves in a place where they're sure enough of themselves that they can walk right in and do that. So I try never to judge people who don't know the Enneagram, and yet I try to uphold that wisdom at the same time. You know, that's kind of hard to do, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I wonder if I'm not more compassionate in this moment than I have been at other times about ones who are parenting, who don't know the Enneagram, who themselves would be uncomfortable as opposed to pleased with a classroom that didn't have the same amount of structure as other 
classrooms. That's I so would, good. Three years ago, that would have totally been me like, this is not okay. Like, he needs to have a seat. And like, this is not how we would do it. The other eight yeah. classrooms have children assigned seats. Like, why is ours different, you know? So I'm so thankful for the Enneagram. But yes, I understand that that could have easily been me if this was three or four years ago. Yeah, right? that's that's so good. We are, we are more structured. You know, I mean, we're three or so years into Enneagram, you know, study and lifestyle and trying to see things through those lenses. But so we get, you know, we're, we're further than we used to be, but we're not where we want to be yet, you know, on all of that. So, um, you know, we try to not be so rigid with our kids. We, we try to give them good boundaries, but, you know, I know sometimes we're, you know, dropping nuggets that we wish we weren't dropping into them with, with how perfectionistic Amanda, I mean, particularly since we're, we're both ones, you know, so, you know, we have certain standards that are probably a little too unreasonable for them. And um, so it's, it's really awesome to know that they get a break at school. <laughs> yeah. Standards more reasonable. Right. Okay. Well, you know, I've loved you really well for the last three years. And you're still awfully hard on yourselves. So I want to ask you, do you, um, is rigid your word? Or have you heard that word somewhere else in describing the two of you? I would say I'm, I'm rigid by self-proclamation. I would say that I would think that I, I live for a calendar and a to-do list and, um, if it's off the schedule, if it's off the plan, you know, it, it gets a little bit stressful. I would, I was, rigid might be, you know, we're all different shades of our number, so to speak, you know, so, um, so Amanda has her ways that she's in one and I have my, my ways that, you know, that shows in my personality. I think um, I might not use the word rigid as much for myself as much as like correct. I, I, you know, it's kind of the same thing, but I tend to think like, this is the correct way. And I forget that I'm talking to a five-year-old or a three-year-old who needs to find their correct way, you know? And, uh, you know, they don't, they don't always have to see it as the same way I do, even though they're just three and five. And so that's the journey I think that I'm on. It's trying to discern, okay, when is red, red? And when is, Okay, but that maroon is okay, too, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you guys are um, in a city in Nashville where there's creativity everywhere, where there's a lot of difference, uh, a lot of different kinds of folks. Do you find that to be a distraction or a gift? It's, I would say it's a gift, now that we understand or now that we're, you know, on this Enneagram journey, I think what you alluded to with Amanda, like before we knew the Enneagram, we would have been disappointed and a little bit angry that Jack's teacher wasn't more structured. Sure. Potentially. But um, I think now that we can understand <clears throat> that our most integrated self isn't where our personality is like super uh controlling right um i think we can appreciate this creativity diversity other ways of looking at things yeah for sure i i would say that i was talking to somebody about where we <clears throat> we moved to our house now that we live in about two and a half years ago and i was talking to them um you know just about nashville and like the area and i would say maybe Five years ago when we had just a, one little baby, I had in my mind that our next house was going to be in Williamson County, which is a very upscale, middle-class, white American area known for its wonderful schools. And I had in my mind, that's where we're moving. We're moving to that specific neighborhood to go to that school because he's going to get the best education. And then in just like maturing and growing lot to do with the Enneagram too, but, um, where we moved, we moved, it wasn't a new house. We, we changed our mind that we wanted to do some updating in a house and we wanted to do our own personalization in a house. And then also we stayed in Davidson County, which is also 
a huge melting pot county and our school, I mean, is so diverse. And that became probably about three years ago, that became more appealing to me than to move to Williamson County to the middle. Yeah, it's an asset. It's now something that I want my child to be raised, both of my children to be raised in because there's so much more to gain from being around many, many cultures. And I feel like even in his little classroom, like there's so many different backgrounds and it just makes my mom heart like so stinking happy because Mm. he gets to be around Asian and black (laughs) and Hispanic and some of the moms don't speak English. And, you know, that is like, it is so exciting to me. And, and I would be afraid that I would not think that maybe four or five years ago. I didn't think that probably four or five years ago because I thought what was best for Jack as a baby is not what I think what's best for Jack now because of a lot of reasons, I guess. That kind of happened for me, too. You know, my commitment was to my kids to always do whatever I had to do to have them in a good school system and, you know, make sure everything was fine. And then in ministry in the United Methodist Church, you know, we're only appointed for a year at a time, and we're moved at the will of the bishop. And so I didn't get to pick schools or houses because for the first half of our ministry, we lived in parsonages. (laughs) So I lived in a parsonage. I didn't get to pick the city or the school system or anything. And boy, did I learn a lot from that about overvaluing control. And oh, what yeah. and what you think? I mean, we, we don't know these teachers. We don't. Right. They they're they're the professionals. I mean, they know what our kids need. You know, in in some ways that we we don't. And I I think, um, you know, just walking in their classroom and us trying to like go on our instincts is can can be really really misleading. Uh, we don't know what our kids need that year. Sure. And, and, and ultimately, I mean, a man and I trust that God knows what our kids need. Mm-hmm. Sure. Which includes the two of you. So I get a little, I get a little antsy when you talk about being too rigid and too structured and too all that. Just saying, I'm, I'm still working on you. Thank you. Yes, you are. <laughs> okay. I want to talk about creativity for both of you because, uh, one's, in stress, go to four on the Enneagram. And that's perhaps the spot on the Enneagram that is considered by some to be just fraught with potential for creativity based on how fours see the world. So, Christopher, you're nominated the 10th time for a Dove Award for Instrumental Album of the Year, and this one is Songs of Faith. Yes. And uh, in the 10 times, you haven't won. <laughs> you shared that with me. That's right. Uh, you're winning big at my house is all I can say about that. <laughs> Thank you. And um, I, I, I want to talk about your creativity and the fact that you're known as a great musician in a city full of great musicians as a one with this elusive Dove Award over here <laughs> that says you're really great. But how do you take that in? How do you hear that? How do you evaluate for yourself in that place of, of oneness that um, you just keep right on creating beautiful music? And where does the award fall in all of that? Mm, that's good. With, re- with regards to the creating it helps me a lot to have another voice as a producer. So when I first started, I made a record once. When, when, when I just moved to Nashville, I made a record, and I produced it, and it took me three hours. I literally you know, rented the studio for three hours, and I was done, and I had a record. Like, who, who can make a record in three hours? <laughs> that, it was done because I knew what I wanted, and it, you know. and it was good, like nothing wrong with it. But when, when some other guys approached me about um, – about producing a piano record for me, it's weird at first. It's like, I'm the artist. I know, you know, why do I need somebody else to produce me? But when I was able to get other people weighing in, I mean, after the first song we recorded, I I ended up signing up for this and, and, and having them produce me. We recorded one song the first day and I was kind of leery about going into it. But, but after the first song, it felt so felt like, you know, 
laying back in the softest pillow. You know, I mean, it was like it felt so comfortable to allow to trust somebody else to be the critiquer. And I just had to be the artist. And somebody else could. They were worried about Mark. I mean, they they were uh, responsible for caring about marketing. Sure. Well, for caring about how long the song needed to be, you know, all, all the issues. And and for for that moment while I'm recording, when somebody else is the producer, I don't have to think about that. And that's that's a really different hat than I wear every other second of my life, you know, by choice or by, you know, necessity, you know. Sure. You know, sometimes uh, like I work with a volunteer choir of about 100 people. And it's hard as a one to know where to draw the line. Where do we want to, when I'm, when I'm working with a choir on this phrase and we're saying the word hallelujah, you know, there's a million different ways, you know, these hundred people are each going to pronounce the word hallelujah. But only one right way. There's only one right way, right? And so how long in a two-hour rehearsal um, do we want to spend on this one lyric? And, you know, there's... There's a million different answers for that. And but trying to find that, I feel like, um, well, I'm uh, I'm certain that the Enneagram has helped me to back off of the needing it to be this way. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, to, another example of that in music is um, in gospel choir music, tr- you know, traditional gospel choir music. There's a tendency to like, we need another key change. The higher, the better, you know, and that's kind of drive. Well, like. You know, these volunteer voices are only going to go so high, you know. Right. And another kind of just like line to the Enneagram. It's like, you know, it doesn't. Who's who's whose idea of perfection is this? The higher is better. It's not it's not always. So I think one thing that I've, I've learned uh, through the Enneagram is. That this idea of perfection that seems so real and so. Uh, uh, I mean, it's a real thing. It's, it doesn't seem like an image. It's a, it's a real thing. It, it really isn't. It's just real to me. And this perfection, this what, and whatever it is, it's really just kind of a cloud that you can like stick your hand through and like, you know, everybody else. I don't know. That's, that's where I'm at on my journey is trying to remember that my perfection is just my perfection and it's good. It's, it's, it's good for me to, um, it's, it relieves stress a lot of time to wash the dishes way longer than they need washing, you know? And right. So that's helpful for me sometimes. That's so good. Amanda. Uh, so you don't have music as a place where you can let go and not feel like you have to be in control and have that experience of things being okay. Where do you find that? in the creativity piece. Um, I've, I've been the past two years kind of become entrepreneurial in my business. Um, and I've taken on these clients who I do consulting with and I do marketing and kind of just help them manage their companies. Um, and I feel like I am energized and maybe it's by the creativity, um, of it. But when I have, I have monthly meetings with all of these people face-to-face, the ones that I work with locally. And I walk away from them and I feel really, really good when I'm in that face-to-face and I'm telling them pretty much things that come so easily for me, like very natural, like, have you thought about this? What do you think about doing this? What if we tried to add in this? Like, let's think big picture and one year, what is this going to look like? Just asking questions, I feel like, is my way of being creative. And um, I've found that the people that I work with who take that information that I give them and they implement it, it literally is like fireworks for me. It makes me feel like you really believe what I'm saying and you're taking it and you're like applying or we're applying it together, I guess. is we're, we're doing it together. Um, it feels really, really good. And I was meeting with somebody who is very successful in business and I just wanted about an hour of his time and two and a half, three hours later, we're talking and he says, you know, you have a lot of creativity inside of you. And I was like, 
I've never thought of myself as a creative person because I'm not, I mean, I don't mean this like silly, but I'm really not good at anything where, you know, Christopher is a pianist and he's like an amazing pianist. And then there's people who can sing and they're really good at singing. And there's actors that are really good at acting. And, you know, you can have those authors that are really good at writing books, but what do I have? That's like my thing. Like I don't have a thing. And creatively, I've always just thought like that's for everyone else. And I've kind of just like made it mine to do that. I just support those people. And yeah. that I just, kind of do the behind the scenes. And I really think that in my second third of life, I feel like I've been using that language so much and it's, it's so good. 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 It's so good for me. And everybody I tell it to, they're like, yes, like I agree with that. Um, so I'm giving you the credit for that for sure when I say Thank it. <laughs> but first third of life, I totally looked at life completely, completely different. And probably when I turned 31, about three years ago, I, I can see that the second third of life, I've been able to tap into something that feels way more um, creative and way more, even though probably people would look at it and say, is that, that maybe from the outside, it doesn't look creative. But to me, it feels probably what like a real creative person, <coughs> it's what they feel whenever they finish that concert or go to that movie premiere or write that book and have first day release. You know, it makes me feel that good inside. Uh, it, it sounds to me like you're learning to value yourself. And I think that's really hard for ones. Mm. I think it's very difficult to say that this is good and I'm good and I'm smart and I'm good at what I'm doing. You know, I, I can remember like 15 years ago when things changed for me, and I, I used to say to Joe, like, I, I feel kind of smart. And he would say, yeah. <laughs> but, you, you know, if you don't know, if, if you've not been able to embrace the parts of yourself that you don't like, which I think the Enneagram gives us, then it's very hard for you to discover the parts of you that are so great, right, that are really so, so great. Okay, I've never asked this question before. I'd like for you guys collectively um, to tell me average one looks like and what you think a healthy one looks like and what you think an unhealthy one looks like. Now, I want to say to everybody that we're all average, healthy, and unhealthy a hundred times a day. So we're talking about moments. We're not talking about this portrait of this is me healthy and I'm going to paint it and hang it above the mantle for everybody to remember. It's not that, but it's like, how do you know when you're in really healthy space and how do you know when you're kind of just making it in average space? And how do you know when your oneness is just bigger than you are? You well, well we're, this is collective. We're oh, great. Okay. Uh, I, so Enneagram is, is um, you know, it can be, for me, it has been so introspective. I think it is for everybody. So there, <clears throat> I guess there's, you know, everybody has their own answer for this. Right. For us, I think, and you can, you can nuance this, I think that the Enneagram has allowed us to see that health for us, uh, our, our integration is when we can see more than one right way to do things. Or, there you go more than one good way to be. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. you know, that's, there's lots of nuances and, you know, but generally speaking, a healthy one is, is accepting of more than, more than one look or more than one way of being, way of seeing. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, do you have anything to add that? Um, I would say a healthy, a healthy one, it's, it's letting things go that you would feel maybe in your health or in your normal to unhealthy, you would feel like you have to control this. Um, so I would say for a one, when you know uh, <laughs> there's toys everywhere in your house, like I'm going to get specific with what I feel like when I try to let things go. Or when I know I have this 
dishes piled up and I have all of these things in my mind and I choose to sit on the floor and pretend to play animals. Francine loves pretend play and so I'm the mama cat and she's the baby cat and we cuddle and purr and, you know, all of the things that make me, you know, in my normal to unhealthy, like drives me absolutely crazy. Like there's work to be done. I have other things I need to do. I don't want to be a pretend cat right now. And I get down on the floor and I do that cat thing with her and we play cats. Like that's, that feels like I walk away from saying I I chose well, I did. I did well. In the beginning, you're pretending to play pretend animals, then does it become just playing? I I think about that. I can't answer that. That's when it's yes. extra healthy, I right? I guess I mean. so. I can't answer that yes, but I can answer that. Is it the Teflon where it's like you have to hold on to something for more than 15 seconds for you to feel it actually? Um, I think about that constantly when I'm trying to spend time with my kids. It's like, I can't be in this moment if it's just for five seconds or for six seconds or 10 seconds. Like I have to be in it for at least 15 seconds for me to feel the feelings I'm supposed to be feeling right now as a mom to my child in that moment. And so sometimes it's easy to just like toss the like whatever we're playing with and just like go back to what I'm doing. That doesn't count as the healthiness though. That counts as average or probably unhealthy when you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get you your, crayons or I'll get you your pencils and then you go back to doing it. But when I actually get in there for more than 15 seconds and I say, I want to color on this page with you, that feels like I have to choose that. And that is really, really hard to choose. So, okay. And so I have a new thing that I'm thinking about right now. Okay. So, uh, one goes to seven in security. Yes. And so my next question is, is it possible? I wouldn't ask you the question straight up because it'd be real hard to give the exact right answer since we've never talked about this before. Mm -hmm. But do you think that when you commit yourself to doing the right thing, the thing that you've thought through and you know is what's yours to do, do you think that's a secure enough place for you that you access some of that seven energy? Gosh, Suzanne, that's super cool. I'd love for you to watch yourself. I think maybe that what happens is when you know you've chosen the right thing that makes you a good mom, which is your goal, that you fall kind of into that seven place of, I'm just going to play. Like, I'm, I'm playing now. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine you being able to purr for very long. <laughs> <laughs> without having kind of moved into a different space for you where you're just playful. So we'll talk about it again. You observe that for me. I will. Because if that's true, then that would mean that we could explore a whole new theme in Enneagram work with if you do the thing that is the right thing, does that involve the number that you go to in security? And does that grow that journey a little bit? And I don't know the answer to that yet, but I'm all on it now. Suzanne, I've got a, I've got a question for you kind of around that, specific to ones and creativity. Ones go to four, and ones can take on the energy of four in stress, access that energy, and ones can access the energy of seven in health and inspiration. For a creative one, you know, there's, there's creativity in four, and there's also of wonderful creativity in seven. So I don't know when I'm accessing more creativity. Am I in seven space or four space? I don't know what that, I don't know any distinction there. I'm kind of asking you that. Is there, you have anything to like, you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm creating art and I'm loving it, I don't necessarily perceive myself accessing four space. I would more, if I had to like choose a space that I was ac- accessing, I would tend to think it's more seven space. Well, I know that, I know that you've been talking about lately and a big thing that you teach on is being able to, uh, especially y'all been doing work for like three years, you said with Anagram and yeah, yeah. so with adding more time to it that and working at it, you can, you don't have to be stressed out 
to get that energy. You don't have to be in the greatest place to get insecure to get the seven energy. But with going to the high side and the self-awareness that eventually you learn to have that with you all the time. That's good. Yeah. And I think that's right on. So sometimes it helps if we look at it in another number and then come back to ours. So, uh, you know, I go to eight as a two, I go to eight in stress and I go to four in security and taking on eight energy teaches me to say no, which makes space for me to back up and uh, be a little more inward focused in four space. And if I don't use both, if I don't use both, then I just keep barreling through life in average space, trying to take care of people so they'll want me, which is not healthy too, and it's not well integrated with four or eight. That's so good. The more we learn about the Enneagram, the more we're, we, we can see ourselves kind of needing both of those, both of those uh, like simultaneously. Exactly. Together. They work together. Yeah, and that's, I, that's good. And I would say for like a beginner's, like maybe we've moved past this piece, but for a beginner who is a one and we've heard, you know, to go to seven in security, like going on vacation is, is definitely a healthy place for you. And I feel like you read a book recently where you were, I had said something about like, I'm ready to hit Europe again. Like we, we haven't gotten out of the country. We've been on vacation, but we haven't gotten out of the country. Like I'm ready to go to like Europe, like I'm ready 2019. We need to put it in the calendar and we need, we need to go or whatever. And you said that you were finishing a book that was talking about bringing, bringing the vacation and bringing those feelings to your, your present, like the, the grass in yeah. your background in and your backyard. from Barbara Brown Taylor. Yep. Her name? Yeah. From an altar in this world. She says kind of the idea of that, like you can take your shoes off and walk barefoot in your backyard and you and you can be in Africa or Europe. Like, when's the last time you took your shoes off and walked in your backyard? For one, that's like, you know, giving yourself permission to be fresh, be um, it doesn't inno- take, innocent and uh, it, wide-eyed. And see that to take Europe to go to the right. same space, you can just take your shoes off in the backyard and kind of in a healthy place at some point, I want to be able to say, I don't need to go to Europe to get that energy from whatever Europe offers me. You know, it's, it could happen in my backyard. It could be playing cats with Francine where I could experience those same energy sure. feelings from And travel. two ones, we have, we have a rule that our kids can't go outside without shoes on. <laughs> what is this? It's so interesting because Joel's here with us and you know, Joel has spent his whole life with his shoes off in some other country in some <laughs> ways in sevenness, right? It's like he can be there in an instant. Right. So the challenge is different for him. So what's your response to that, Joel? For seven going to one in stress is that like when I show up now at the Micah Center in the mornings, there's always so much to do. I don't have, but I don't have to stress out to start getting things done. And when I do do that, typically it is the low side and I start picking up things that don't need to be picked up immediately instead of returning emails or doing things that actually do need to be done right now. And so right now the, we've had some changes around here and there's some boxes left out and so on. And I'd like to put them away, but there's a lot more immediate things that need to be done. But I, there's not been a level of stress to that. It's just been noticing the behavior or noticing the desires of what I would want to do and not having to do that. And then same with on the other side, going to five as a seven, it's kind of the same thing that you're talking about that. Yeah. I've spent most of my life on the beach, but now it's that, uh, doing the everyday things can still be, it's, it can be beach adjacent. Like it's not so far from the beach to, you know, shower kids and make dinner and mow the lawn. It's just the things that kind of need to be, need to get done so that I can better enjoy the beach. 
Whereas before it would be neglected and sprint for the beach and come back to a whole mess. And all of that, all of that is about self-knowledge and self-awareness. And we just haven't been encouraged to know and understand ourselves. We haven't been taught how to do that and how to understand um, long-term satisfaction and short-term satisfaction and other options. And I would just say that three years ago, I I don't think you two knew that you had other options that were good choices, (laughs) right? Because you were so worried about doing things right and correct. And since you're both ones, neither one of you was looking at the other one and saying, that's ridiculous. We're going to go on a picnic. You were both saying, that's right. We definitely, they're ants and they're bad and we haven't done our chores and we shouldn't go. Suzanne, I want to, there, one other thing about the um, kind of to answer, to go back to your question about what's the high side of one and what's the low side of one. I have a, a friend who's a musician also here in Nashville who just, who just kind of discovered he was a one. He thought he was a nine for a long time and now he's he kind of, uh, he, he realizes he's a one. And something that we talked about the other night um, was that ones, and we both have fallen into this, particularly when it comes to creating something. I've got this thing that I know that I have to get done by a certain time, the project. And I know it's not going to be perfect. I don't have enough, you know, I don't have enough time, budget, or, you know, to, for it to be perfect. Um, and so, you know, I've known it for six months that it has to get done, and I've got like five more months to do it. And I'm not really any further now, six months into this 11 month project than I was six, you know. And it's because I've just recently realized it's because the reason I'm not any further in is because I need it to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's for, for creatives who are ones on the Enneagram. I think that may be the biggest um, kind of enemy of producing is that we need it to be perfect and we don't even get started. So, you know, I kind of shun responsibility and, and like don't even get started on the thing because in the name of needing it to be right, in the name of perfectionism. Which kind of looks like a nine thing if you look at it outside a little bit. That's why this guy was confused because he was kind of going there as well. Yeah, Joel and I are chomping at the bit. We both have so much to say. So I'm going to let Joel go first. It seems to me that would be a, it's a a real one thing because of the movement. So high side or low side, fours are doing repressed. That could be part of that. And then same with, for me as a seven, I've got great big, when there's a project, great plans, but then I kind of will not get stuff done because of the setbacks, even if they're mental of this might not be right. What if I can't do this? What if I make the wrong choice? And so it's the, the movement away from your, your core self and who you are and your gifts that is causing things to not get done. It's so interesting to me that we're talking about this because I just had a conversation yesterday with my editor and um, I'm starting to kind of play around with a new book idea. And I learned in the last week, because Joe and I were on vacation and I got to think for a while and observe myself in a different way, that as a two, there are times when deadlines are essential for me to get something done. And there are times when they're not helpful. Mm-hmm. And for me, on the creative end, a deadline is not helpful. On the getting it done end, a deadline is essential. So I don't know how this translates to music or to Joel's projects, and we can explore that. But what I'm aware of is that I, I have to be able to see all the way through a proposal, and my orientation of time is the present moment. So for me to get beyond that is a huge challenge, and if you put a deadline on a proposal, I can't do it. It's like I, I have the same paralysis that you have, Christopher, but for a different reason. I can't do it because I haven't had time yet to see where it's going to go. And I feel like I have to 
say where it's going to go, and then go there, right? That's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I, I wonder if we all asked ourselves the question, when do I need a deadline, and how does it serve me? Then we could be more mindful of accepting deadlines from other people or giving ourselves deadlines. And I, I think the motivation for Joel as a seven, for it to go all the way through as he dreamed it, for you as a one, for it to go all the way through to an end that you're happy with, and for me to be able to see the end so that I don't disappoint other people, I think that's all our number, don't you guys? Do you is a better way to say that. Totally. And I think ones, ones can get bogged down in every single step, in needing every measurement to be perfect, and every, you know, and we can... You know, I don't know if this is a nine wing thing, but like, you know, if I need to if I need to take measurements of this room because we need new carpet, you know, I start out, I go get the tape measure and I, you know, do this. And then I think, gosh, like I saw a review on tape measures last week and I, I really think I probably need a better tape measure so I can be more precise. I don't know how precise this one is. <laughs> then, you know, you start perfecting every every little uh, step in the thing, I, that's where I get bogged down with it. So, Joel, talk for a little bit about the equipment that you talked to me about this morning and how you were looking at new equipment and you thought, I can learn that. Talk about that. So I was, we're working on doing some more video and some streaming for events. And so the first, I was told there, I was like, I went down this rabbit hole and I saw, I was like, I'll put together this whole rack and it's going to have the screens on it and LCD screens and we'll be able to do this and have multiple cameras and this is, and I don't know how to do any of it, but I can, you know, I'm going to read the directions, watch the videos, do the tutorials, all of that. And eventually we'll be able to get there. And I was, I was like, the more I thought about that and was looking at the stuff, I was like, let's see what some other options are besides doing that. And so then it was, let's find a different rabbit hole. And I went down a, a, one that I liked much more. <laughs> and, uh, and so where we are, the three of us that are chatting while Amanda watches us, is here, the person who's learned the most about letting go and who's the most talented in this area, Amanda, is you. Because your creativity depends on this other person buying into what you have to say and wanting to go with it, and then you have to let go of it and let them kind of work with it like Christopher has to let go and let somebody else produce it. Like I have to let go. You know, guys, the one thing that I would not want you to do is edit me. Like, and Joel edits me all the time, and InterVarsity Press edits me all the time, and I have more than one editor editing what I write, and it's... um. It's a thing of grace, maybe, where we get to let go of the thing that keeps us from being creative as opposed to the thing that helps us be creative. And Amanda, you're just a, a leg up on us on this one. Wow. Let, it's, this, this helps us let go of the thing that keeps us from being creative. Yeah. I've got a question that I've always been curious about, and that is both in your relationship together? Because I, I said recently that I don't think I could be in a, an intimate, intimate relationship with another seven just because of what we would both bring to the table and what we'd be lacking. And so the same question about parenting with the same number. Are there things that you see that you're like, this works out really well, that we're both ones for our relationship and that we have to be conscious of and look for and really make an effort to bring that's not in our nature, you both being ones. I'll say um, with us both simultaneously doing our work in the past three years, I think it's been life-changing in how we relate to each other, and obviously we've already talked about how we relate to kids, um, to our kids. 
I, I think we give each other probably more grace than we ever have before. Um, and, and that is all in part to entering our second third of life and entering into this Enneagram knowledge and also just all of the stuff we're listening to and the stuff we're reading and following. And, um, I don't think what we were maybe five years ago, six years ago, we're, we're about to celebrate 11 years of marriage and, you know, you're still just trying to figure out each other in those first few years. And you're, you're still trying to just work out all the kinks and every person has their personal quirks that you just are like, well, that's his quirk. Um, but then, and for us, with us both being ones, we're definitely not, um, we don't have the same quirks, even though we're the same number. Um, so the balance that we have is that we both understand the way we're thinking and feeling Mm -hmm. and doing, I think. Um, but he's like all in these categories over here and I'm in all of these categories of here. I'm perfecting those things. And so we don't have a lot of overlap. Um, I would say... We don't see a lot of overlap, at least. <laughs> except, except with our kids. We're both super on the same page to how we it's, you know, want good. to... The, the environment we want to provide for our kids, mm-hmm. the level of you know, just involvement we want to be. You know, and I, I feel like we have a really good micro communication that we we really care about like details um that is in our calendar and in our children's lives all of the pieces where maybe in other relationships that have different numbers connected a mother or maybe a one it could be a, a, a father i feel like i have a very um co parenting relationship and that is I think because we get each other and we both want that equal involvement in what we're giving to our children would you say that that yeah I think yeah I I think you know the fact that we're two ones so we understand how each other think and how each other feel and then the I think um that's a real advantage the disadvantage to being this married to the same number is particularly ones two ones together is that, you know, on the, on the things that in the areas that we agree, we can get really self-righteous and, and, and we've seen that, you know, in, in, in the past year or so, how we can, um, you know, egg each other on with, uh, yeah. Did you see what he said? Did you see what she said? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most people voted like that, and we can kind of feed feed all the things that um, you know because we're thinking the same way, and there's not a, there's not as much balance when it's just two of the same number. So you know, Joel's wife Whitney is a one on the enneagram. Oh, cool! Oh, cool, cool. no, I didn't. And uh, they share a line on the enneagram. So in in overall enneagram wisdom for folks, that's another step. Like, what's to your advantage and what's to your disadvantage if you're the same number? What's to your advantage and what's to your disadvantage if you share a line? So, Joel, why don't you hop in and say what you think is to your advantage that you're married to a one but you're a seven and what you think is uh, a disadvantage in that if you have one right off the top of your head. Now, know that they have a six-day-old, eight-day-old baby, (laughs) sleep-deprived, you know, et cetera. It's, like you said, just acknowledging that... You share, you share a lot of the same, what y'all were saying, a lot of the same emotions or a lot of the same, same feelings or tendencies. So with the baby, for instance, uh, who knows where each, uh, where we are at on the stress levels at any given time, <laughs> but, and with my one energy that there are things that I think, and we both, so we're a blended family. And so we have both raised children separately. And we both have ideas of all the good things that we did to raise our kids and that we just crushed it. And now we're together and it's, you do things differently than I do in raising this infant and in how to do this and how to do that. And it's just, 
it's knowing that my way isn't the only way and might not even, might not even be the best way. I think it is, but there are other ways. And then acknowledging that she's probably feeling the same way and also not communicating it or not in a good way, not communicating it, just thinking about it and loving me and letting me voice what I think and so on. So it's kind of a, this is going to sound real hippie or something, but like a quiet dance that's happening of where are you at on this issue and you voiced uh, your opinions about this and you haven't said anything about this and you've let me do this, but you haven't let me do this. And so it's just kind of that push and pull going back and forth. So I think uh, a couple of things I want to talk about to wrap it up. And they are that, uh, Christopher, you talked about a nine and a one and your friend who's kind of trying to figure that out. Let me just say, tell your friend that that's the hardest place on the Enneagram to distinguish the two numbers is between nine and one. Am I a nine with a big one wing or am I a one with a big nine wing? That's a, that's a trouble spot. So comfort in that. Secondly, uh, Amanda, you talked about the fact that y'all are both doing work together. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I think we all need to be mindful of is that not all couples and not all partners are both doing work together. Right. And I, I think um, that's other people's journey, and um, there's not a way to superimpose any kind of judgment on that that would have any value at all. And the thing I would say is that for couples who are not doing work together, where one person's really doing a lot of work and the other one's you know, at a different stage in life and not all into kind of self-awareness and trying to learn new ways and all that. I think that at the end of the day, the best chance our children have, that our relationships have, the best chance that we all have is to be the healthiest person we can be. That's the goal, just to be the healthiest person that we can be. I, um, as always, am so glad that you were willing to do the podcast, and I'm, I've decided I think we need to make it kind of a yearly thing and kind of see how you guys learn as two ones to uh, figure out life and what more you have to offer the next time and the next time and the next time. And until then, um, thank you for your vulnerability. I think it's harder for ones to be vulnerable publicly than any other number uh, because you're putting it out there and you can't get it back. So uh, much honor and Love and care. Love you. You're, you're our favorite you. person on the planet. <laughs> we love you. Thank you Thank so you. much. You betcha. Bye-bye. You too, Joe. <laughs> the Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solve Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit the Enneagramjourney.org for more information and we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.